Hey everybody, I'm Jason, your host of Let Freedom Reign, an equine industry leading podcast that talks to folks from all different walks of life who share their testimony of adversities and perseverance and how the horse has helped them through their journey. Stay tuned. We're going to have a great time. Come along for the ride. Welcome everybody to episode number two. Our guest today is going to be Miss Genevieve Allen. She's a cowgirl and a country music singer. You can find her on Facebook under Genevieve Allen Music, and I believe it's the same handle for Instagram as well. Her Twitter account is under Genevieve Allen One. Today, she shares an amazing story where she was in a collision, and statistically, she shouldn't have made it, and how that unforeal circumstance had changed her perspective on life and the way she approaches horses. We talk a little bit about breaking colts, a little bit about country music, and a whole lot about life. You can find Genevieve's music on iTunes, Amazon, and CD Baby, and we hope you'll enjoy today's show. Now, should you find the content of this episode valuable, please share it with a friend. Additionally, your five-star ratings and reviews on iTunes or whatever other platform you use to listen on would mean the world to us. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Let Freedom Reign Podcast. I hate to keep you waiting any longer. Here is Miss Genevieve Allen. Well, good morning, Genevieve. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Things are good. We've been real, real busy. How about yourself? Um, same. <laughs> same. Perfect. Everybody, I want to introduce Genevieve Allen. Obviously, she's our guest today. She's been out on the road the last few weeks and real, real busy. And we'll get through to her story here in a bit. What's been uh, new with you recently here, Genevieve? Oh, just uh, in the process of uh, juggling being full-time musician on the road and moving back from Tennessee back to Texas. And uh, I've been up in Cheyenne for Frontier Days. I performed up there uh, a few times and then uh, back down to uh, just east of Dallas. So I have been on the road. And let me tell you, as... uh, (sighs) You know, being on the road, you don't really think about the fact that Wyoming to Dallas is about 15 hours, (laughs) and you just, it doesn't look like it's that much on a map. You're like, oh, that's probably like an eight-hour drive. No, it's not. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, that can can get daunting traveling that much. I mean, I've driven as much as 30, 31 hours in a stretch, and uh, things get old fast, but you keep in the back of your mind, man, the sooner I get there, the sooner we're just over and done with this, and I I can set up shop. Exactly. Exactly. How was things in Cheyenne? I uh, I heard they got a little bit of rain out there a few days, huh? They got rain. They had hailstorms. Um, and let me tell you, from a, a Texas gal driving down the road and seeing ice down the sides of the road in the middle of July or the end of July, it's just not right. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that's not not ice or storm or or winter type. Uh, type it's of not. The year. It's not normal for me. And uh, I had set up actually uh, in in a saloon, and I had set up my equipment, and it was probably ninety. I mean, it is cooler up there than it is in Texas this time of year, but um, you know, upper eighties, ninety. All of a sudden, I hear this hail hitting the sea, you know, hitting the roof, and I stepped outside, and it had dropped down into the fifties from when I had walked in to set up my equipment. And I was like, is this normal for y'all? And they're like, oh, yeah. I was like, how do you 
do it. <laughs> I was going to say, that's a pretty quick turnaround. I've never had the, the fortune to make it out to that rodeo. I'd like to get up there and experience it at least it's, once. It's an, it's an amazing rodeo. Truly, truly is amazing to watch. Um, and, of course, I got to see Ned Ledoux perform. Oh, how was that? Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. You know, he, uh, he sounds a little bit different than his daddy, but hardly, hardly. And there's sometimes when he does something on stage or he turns – just right. And it's almost like you're watching Chris, you know, he's doing his own music now and he just, he throws in, you know, some of his daddy's work, but it true. It's amazing. He's an amazing guy to see live. I was going to say what I loved about his father's music was the storytelling. His ability to tell a story was just second to none. Yeah. You know, I know it was only two or three minutes song here and there, but I found myself, you get wrapped up in the story real quick, you know? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and Ned's, Ned's writing is like that. That's awesome. Good stuff. Well, yeah. obviously here at, uh, let freedom reign, we talk to folks about their stories and, and adversities and challenges in life and, and kind of how the horses brought them back and, and helped them grow. So why don't you tell folks or share with folks a little bit about who you are and where you came from and your, your upbringing, how you got into horses and stuff. Okay. Well, I was, uh, Born and raised southwest of Houston. Um, it used to be a little town called Pearland, and then Houston ate it. But, you know, it, it started out a little small town. And uh, I was on the back of a horse before I could even walk. There's pictures somewhere my mama's got that she's holding me on the back of a horse, and I'm in a onesie. Um, so horses have always, I can't remember a time in my life that they weren't the focal point for me. And um, I, I grew up riding I think I was like probably six and uh, I went to uh, my first barrel race and I did that. And then I got into uh, reining and uh, did that for a while. And then um, my reining mare uh, got injured and I went back to barrels. And But horses have always been, man, you know, the, my reason for getting up in the morning. Just always, always been obsessed with them. the The barn was always my my safe place. You know, if something happened, something hurt my feelings, I'd go out there and I'd clean a couple of stalls. And next thing I knew, everything was everything was fine. Just always grew up with horses being a, a sanctuary for me. And you know, some people, you know, I don't I don't guess it's for everybody, but the smell of horses is just like the best smell in the world. And, uh, man, if you got a problem, you sit down there in their stall and listen to them eat hay. There's just something so therapeutic about <laughs> hearing them eat hay. And, uh, that's, that's just always, always been, they've always been my safe place. But I grew up, grew up with horses. Uh, music's always been a part of my life. Now I'm, uh, I'm a full-time musician but my family, my parents and I, we, we also uh, breed and raise and train performance horses. So when I'm not on the road, I'm at the house training horses. That's pretty much who I am. It's just a, you know, cowgirl with a guitar. People ask me, like, oh, you're a singer. I'm like, well, I'm a cowgirl with a guitar. That's awesome. I'm a cowgirl. I'm a cowgirl that sings. That's awesome. <laughs> I like, you know, but first, first, first there on the line is I'm a cowgirl. Good stuff. So how long have your folks had that breeding program? I mean, is that something that you were kind of born into or is that something that took yeah. on as of recent? Well, we, uh, we always, we've always been into the, the breeding and raising of them, but I really got into the, into the training aspect. That's just, it was actually 
it kind of segues into, I had a, the, a really horrible wreck and I'm able to do more now than I was before my wreck. However, because there was that transitional period of still having some pain, um, it hurt to run barrels and have that jerking impact. And I was able to transition that adrenaline, that need for adrenaline to breaking colts and seeing the light bulb turn on for a young horse when they finally figure out what you're asking them to do, or they finally, you know, drop their head and lick their lips and you realize that they, they got it and, you know, they're, they're trusting you. That's just, I was able to, to transfer that need for adrenaline into uh, just this joy of, of getting to see a young horse get it. Grow in their development, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's been amazing. I have, well, it's actually my mama's gelding, and he was terrified. We have this wooden bridge that goes over a creek. Terrified of it. Like it was just going to eat him. I actually, I, I had some friends riding with me, and I was like, y'all go ahead and, and go on. I'm not moving until he crosses this bridge, and I'm not, he's, he's going to cross it because he trusts me. And I squatted down on the bridge with the end of the long split rein, and I had gotten a bucket. And I sat there for, I don't know how long, 10, 15 minutes, just kind of just talking to him. And he slowly kind of walked across it. He, after that, he was okay. And I looked out the window. I guess it was, well, last time I was home. And I about died laughing. It was so hot, and he had figured out that if he stood on the bridge, the slats between the boards, it was actually the coolest place on the property, and he <laughs> was standing on the bridge. <laughs> and he didn't move there all day long. He just stood there. And I was like, that that was because he trusted me. So yeah, Sometimes life's a little easier when you try. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, that was – so now I've gotten obsessed with, with training – so that, that's kind of come about with me, but we've always had a breeding program. No, being able to truly work with a horse and connect with a horse, it's a very powerful moment in most folks' life. Before we get too sidetracked, I remember I, had, I have a 15-year-old, almost 15-year-old gilding now, and I bought him a couple years back, and the individual I had bought him from said, hey, don't turn him out in, in any larger paddocks or pastures because... Sometimes he can be pretty tough to catch, and, and uh, he'll run off from you. And there have been days where people had chased him on a four-wheeler through the pasture to catch him. And, <laughs> and I don't know if they necessarily caught him or he just wore out and didn't want to run no more, and they just happened to put a halter over him. So through my horsemanship journey early on, I had a moment of arrogance, I would say. And uh, my wife and I were sitting there, and the horse was turned out in the arena. and We were getting ready to take off. She said, hey, you going to go catch that horse? And she handed me the halter. And at first I started to walk into the arena and then I thought to myself, heck, you know what? I don't need this no more. So I tossed a rope halter back to her. I said, I'll be right back with this horse. And she's kind of looking at me sideways and kind of funny. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> well, I might have just bit off a lot more than I can chew or we're going to have a lot more time here at the barn uh, for me to accomplish this. And sure enough, you walk out into that arena and you truly try to find yourself and your ability to communicate with a horse. And uh, lo and behold, a few minutes later, we walked right out of that arena and walked right back to his stall never used a rope halter or nothing you know it was just a matter of finding yourself and and gelling with that horse and, and building mm -hmm. a little trust and once you're able to 
to instill that in a horse and instill that in yourself, I mean, the sky's the limit. It's really amazing what you can do with these animals. Oh, absolutely. So let's, I want to go back a little ways. You said you were involved in a a pretty significant wreck that was kind of the turning point in your life. Uh, Would you be willing to share with us some more details as far as where you were at in your life and the circumstances around the wreck and Um, your experience through it? Well, you know, I was, uh, I was kind of on a, a path that kind of got derailed literally and figuratively, but, um, I was, you know, I was hanging out with, a with some friends I'd gone over, we were four wheeling and it was, uh, I guess it was, I remember exactly. I sent the text at 10 25 and I told my dad, yeah, I said, I'll be home about 25 minutes. And, uh, I had a one ton Ford Dooley. I, I, I'm still so just, you know, heartbroken that I destroyed that thing. But anyways, um, <laughs> that, that's what I was driving. And I always wore my seatbelt always. And, uh, it had dropped down kind of cool that night and my buddy had let me use his sweatshirt. I got in the truck and I put my seatbelt on, sent the text and I went to put the truck in reverse and I realized I still had his hoodie on. I threw it back in park and took my seatbelt off and I was like, Hey man, uh, let me give you your sweatshirt back. And he goes, no, no, I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. Cause I was going to go trail riding with, um, with a bunch of them the next day. And I was, he said, no, no, I'll just get it from you tomorrow. It's no big deal. Okay. Well, I threw the truck in reverse and I never put my seatbelt back on, which actually happened to be something that saved my life. So it's moral of the story right? is, moral of the story is God was good that night. Always wear your seatbelt. But anyway, <laughs> I am not by any means saying don't wear your seatbelt, but this fluke accident, you know, and me not putting my seatbelt on, I was, man, I was probably... A mile and a half, two miles out, and uh, it was a, a backside of a hill and a curve, and the the road kind of banked away, and uh, I hit loose gravel. And you know, I've I've had people ask me, they said, "Oh, you must have been speeding," blah blah blah. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, absolutely. It was it was ten thirty at night. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> oh, sure, hope not. You know, it's dark. Everybody, I mean, I'm out in the middle of, you know, central Tennessee. Everybody has cows. Yeah, and sometimes the fast. fences are not that good. <laughs> oh, yeah. And there's plenty of deer that'll jump out. So, yeah, I was going a little bit over, but I wasn't, you know, trying to be Dale Earnhardt. I just, you know, I hit the backside of that, that hill and there was loose gravel that had washed out from a rain the day before. And man, I don't know if you've ever, been in a dually when it decides to fishtail, but when, it when to you cut lose, loose, it's going to cut loose. When you lose control of those back four tires, it's game over. Yeah. I had tried to correct it, and apparently, I guess that just made things worse. But um, once the tire went off of the 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 road, kind of dropped off by about six inches. So also, once you were off of it, there was no correcting. And it ripped the steering wheel out of my hands, and I went straight into a telephone pole and uh, flipped it four times. Oh, and my Lord. on the third roll, because, see, I, was, I remember all of this, unfortunately. Isn't it incredible um, in a time of stress like that, the, the, the finite details that you're able to retain? Oh, yeah. Like, my body, I, I body slammed the, the console, the center console, and on the third roll... My head 
busted out the windshield and I went through the windshield and it looked like somebody had, I looked like I had been scalped. Um, it cut it down to the bone on both sides of my head. It rolled over me back onto the road and I woke up seconds later, I guess, or a few minutes later, it hadn't been long. And I was rolled up in barbed wire in the ditch. Jesus. All by myself at about 1045 at night. So as you're telling this story and you're describing where you're at, you know, out on kind of a country road and the horrific uh, story of this crash, I'm thinking to myself like, okay, how are you going to get help? Well, I crashed right in front of this woman's house and her flight had landed at 10 o'clock and at... 11, she drove up in her driveway and saw my truck in the middle of the road, completely looking like a crushed beer can. God. And uh, she found me. I can, I can still remember, like, I, I remember everything. I remember the auditory, and I can hear her yelling, I found her, I found her. What's going through your mind? What's going through your heart at that point? Um... I was going in and out of consciousness a lot. I knew I was hurt bad. Um, but at the same time, it was just more of like I had a, a video camera going on. It's, I really wasn't thinking a whole lot. I was just, I can, I can hear and see the, you know, the details. I was laying in a pool of blood, my blood. I was in the ditch and I remember um, making fists like in, cause I was in such pain. Yeah. In the in the dirt and the mud and I realized then well, I realized in the hospital there was no mud. <laughs> there was no mud. So it, I was actually like it was it was, but it was because I was bleeding out. Yeah, I was gonna say. And uh they got there and the wild this is the wild part of the story. The girl that was first on the scene was in my my daddy teaches high school. And she had been in his class and she had come to a stop sign a mile from where my wreck was. She was off duty. She never takes that road home and she never has the walkie talkie or whatever the, the pager thing for first responders never took it with her when she was off duty. She got the call. There's been a wreck a mile from the road. And she goes, she said she remembered sitting there at the stop sign and she debated for a second. And then she goes, you know what? It's only a mile out of my way. It's no big deal. I'll go over there. So she got there and she recognized me. And um, she got down in my face because, I mean, I was, I was bleeding. I was bleeding to death is what I was doing. I, she kept talking to me and, you know, stay with me. Come on, stay with me. Keep your eyes open. Who are you? And she would start running, through, you know, through the questions. And then... Um, I started repeating the questions and she knew I was, you know, <laughs> I was on my way out the door is what I was doing. Oh yeah. Uh, cause I couldn't, I was no longer keeping, I couldn't keep the facts together from like 30 seconds. I was stuck on a loop. The, uh, the paramedics got there and they did the, the cradle rock for your hips. I couldn't feel anything. And, uh, I had, Let's see, I had a collapsed lung, dislocated shoulder, 
my, the side of my skull looked like a spider web. It had so many fractures. I had all the different directions of concussion you can have. I had them. Um, <laughs> let me tell you, I had a headache for a while. I was going to say, it sounds then, like you did a full number on it, huh? Oh, I did. I did. And um, I had torn ligaments and a fractured vertebrae at the base of my skull and then uh, top of my neck. And then I had uh, two crushed vertebrae in my back three fractured and then one like right where it connects to your pelvis or whatever, like the, the top of that. I mean, so I was cracked all the way down basically. And, um, I flatlined in the ambulance. I I bled out and they gave me transfusions and got my heart going back again. And then they put me on chopper and they sent me up to uh, Vanderbilt and it is amazing what the 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 instinct to fight. It's amazing because I I came to and uh, they asked me. They said, um, "We need your permission to do an emergency surgery." And at that moment, because I could not feel anything from the waist down, when they did the cradle rock, the only thing I can describe it would be. Do you remember that the huge? Um, Ice water challenge. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. From a couple okay. months back or, or last summer, was it? Yeah, yeah. It felt like someone took ice water and dumped it in my gut when they did the cradle rock and asked if, if they said, can you feel that? And when I couldn't feel it, I knew what that meant. How scary. And, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I can't even begin to describe that that emotion that went with it. But um, then they... Uh, you know, because I didn't know if my legs were mangled. I didn't know if I had already lost a leg. I didn't know because I couldn't feel anything. And I looked the doctor right in the, or the nurse, whoever it was that asked the question, like dead in the eye. And I said, whatever you have to do, do it. Just get it done. Just get it done. That was, I wanted to live so bad. It was like, I don't care. You know, if I wake up with prosthesis, if I wake up with, I don't know, whatever it is, I want to live. I uh, I came to after surgery, and this still cracks my daddy up, because I came to in surgery. It was a five-hour surgery. And I said, I think my first words were, I said, Daddy, I, th- I think I messed the truck up a little bit. Just a bit. <laughs> and he goes, no, honey, you messed it up a lot. Yeah, I was going to say, to heck with the truck, you messed up his daughter, too. Yeah. And he showed me the pictures and he goes, do you remember that? And of course, you know, the morphine and all that stuff. And I'm just looking at it and I'm like, oh, (laughs) nope. I can't say that I remember that. All the memories came back gradually. But, you know, that first first couple of days, I was like, why am I here? What happened? I know I had a wreck. Um, And they told me, they said, um, you know, you'll probably, well, they had said, they told my parents and they told me, they said, there's a good chance you won't wake up out of surgery. Okay. If you do survive the surgery, you will never walk again. Okay. Say, that's got to be um, terrifying news. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the first thing is, you know, the thoughts that go through my head, I'll never walk again. I'll never ride again. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I will no. never have my, my career shot. Um, the likelihood of having a family that's, you know, all these things are just like rushing in on me. I guess it was on... 
day, end of day two, I mean, I, I don't know how many hours, it may have been closer to three days. And uh, the doctor had kept coming by and asking me, you know, he'd touch my, my toe or whatever and be like, can you feel that? Blah, blah, blah. And I was starting to get kind of angry. Um, not angry at God, just angry. You know, out of hurt, out of fear. And I remember praying, you know, just, I don't understand, you know, why has this happened to me, blah, blah, blah. And the doctor came by, I guess this was the third time the doctor came by and asked me this question. And I was, you know, mama has, my parents have drilled good manners into me. There were some things running through my head that I wanted to say, you know, like, <laughs> this is not going to work. Yeah, it might have been leave, a little contrary to your upbringing. Yeah, leave me the blank alone. There's no reason to make me do this. It's not going to work. And so I was good and ticked off uh, when he asked me to move it again. And I remember rolling my eyes. <laughs> and I went to move my leg, and I jerked my whole knee up in the bed. And I just stared at it. And the doctor goes, well, I guess you can move it. Yeah, I guess we got feeling back. And I just sat there just in, I mean, I could not believe. I was staring at my knee, bent up in bed, and I'm going, that just, that just happened. Yeah, what in God's green earth just happened? It, yeah, yeah, you talk about floored. I, uh, you know, they got me up on day three. I was walking with help. And they, uh, I guess it was the end of day three. The, the anger and the, you know, they said, well, we don't know what your quality of life is going to be. You know, you've gotten some feeling back. You're, you know, we don't, we don't know. And of course the doctors have to say that. And, uh, I remember praying and finally I was like, you know what? I don't ever have to ride again. Let me, if I have to be on a walker, I want to be able to walk on my own two feet down to the barn and just be with my horses. Yeah. And the doctor came in and he said, you'll ride again. And I remember like, as soon as I had just like given it up and been like, you know, whatever God wants, whatever, you know, whatever, I got my life handed back to me. And I didn't cry the whole time in the hospital. I cried when I got that news. <laughs> That's incredible. It's a powerful moment, right? Yeah. And I mean, you were stripped um, down to next to nothing, you know, physically broken and mentally, I'm sure it was taxing, you know, and oh, all these things yeah. you'd looked forward to and lived and, and were such a strong and, part of your soul were now gone. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the, the rehabbing, God, I can't even begin to tell you the, the level of pain that had. And it's very difficult to deal with pain and try not to cry when you only have one lung that's functioning. Just P.S. In case you wondered. <laughs> so I'll, try, I'll try to keep both of mine inflated. How about that? Yeah. Um, and, you know, at the after, as soon as they gave me, you know, the green light, they were like, you know, we're not sure how much you're going to recover. It was basically one of those things like, really? Watch me. I got kicked out of physical rehab. Um, that was fun. I was say, did you get because, kicked out for foul language or what? No, no. The, <laughs> uh, the lady told me to do 12 squats. And I came in there and I did 12 squats. And she goes, okay, let me see you do a one-minute wall sit. I did it. And she goes, what have you been doing every day? And I, I said, well, most been, healthy people can't do that. 
I said, I've gotten up to 50 squats a day and I'm doing wall sits and I'm doing lunges. And she goes, well, I would hate to bore you. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> and the other, the other physical therapists were like, that was the most beautiful thing we have ever seen. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> By the way, you never have to come back. Okay. Awesome. Cool. So yeah, I, got, I got kicked out, I think, two weeks early, which was pretty hilarious. And the doctor told me, he was like, um, you know, you can't do anything for six or six weeks. Well, at, uh, let's see. No, it was two months. I think it was two months. I couldn't get on a horse before two months. At six weeks, my mama brought her old barrel horse into the front yard and I sat on her back and I've got a picture of, of me. I'll, I'll send that over to you. Uh, for social media, there's a picture yeah, of me sitting great. on a horse for the first time. And uh, the just the pure joy of just feeling on a horse, you know, under me. Yeah. And um, then, uh, you know, after after that, he told me that he finally gave me the go-ahead to ride. Or no, I take that back. I'm sorry. He had not given me the go-ahead to ride at eight weeks. I saddled her and I told my daddy, I said, if I can't saddle the horse on my own, I'm not getting on her yet. Now, have you, have you continued physical therapy throughout this process or are you just going back to trying to, trying to reassimilate with life? Where are you at in your I recovery? was still doing, I was still driving in for physical therapy every yeah. day. And I managed to get the saddle up by myself and I, I walked her around. So I go in for my, my checkup and he goes, you're, uh, you're cleared to ride. And I said, okay, yes, sir. I appreciate that. And he goes, you've already been riding, haven't you? And I said, yes, sir. <laughs> and he just shakes his head and he goes, okay, well, don't do anything crazy like barrel racing. Yeah, I was say, my talk, dad took to a, a girl full barrels and step. My daddy took a full step back in the room and the doctor literally goes, oh, shit, you're one of those. And like my dad's just trying not to laugh. He's standing in the corner, and uh, and I just kind of looked at him, and he he goes, "God, well, can you just hold off on the barrel racing till you make the six month mark?" And I said, "Okay, we'll try. That's that's fine. I I I can go with that. If you're telling me it could be damaging to do that kind of impact, I can hold back." When I went in for my uh, well, my one year anniversary, I went to a barrel race. And, uh, I went in for my one year checkup and he, uh, he was in disbelief and he said, you're the 1%. The reason that we were so negative basically was because it doesn't happen. He goes out, if you're a hundred people, 99 of them either would not have made it off the table or they would have been wheelchair bound. You are that one you know, between being, you know, stubborn and God and the horses. I mean, I I'd be there. The first probably six weeks was absolutely hell on earth with the, the pain because, you know, once I left the hospital, they pulled the morphine. Well, I have so many broke, you know, broken bones in my body Yeah. and plus torn ligaments. So much pain. And yeah. So I'm, I'm dealing with <laughs> a lot of pain and a lot of emotional trauma because at that point I didn't know how much I was going to get back in my life. 
You know, I, I didn't know if physically, you know, there's only so much willpower and, you know, whatever God wants me to have back at that point. You know, I don't know if I'm going to run barrels again. I don't know what I can get back. I would start to just, you know, come apart and Mama would hand me a giant, those giant bag of carrots. Oh, yeah. It's like the, the value pack. Yeah, five bucks for about 20 pounds. <laughs> yeah. And she'd say, uh, go out, go to the fence. There's the horses. Don't come back until that bag is empty. That would just snap me out of it. And probably two to three times a week. We went through a lot of carrots. Um, <laughs> but that was, you know, just feeling them breathe on me and being next to them. And uh, uh, cool. I think I had mentioned it before when we talked that, you know, uh, my show mare, when I got home, because I would, you know, I'm the one that feeds them every morning. She saw me, I guess, get out of the truck and she came up to the fence and I very kind of slowly hobbled over to the fence and that big old mare wrapped her neck all the way around me like a hug. It's incredible how they know. Stood there and I, man, I had my, I've got my arms around her. I just started crying. They, uh, they're special creatures. And you know, I've been around a lot of horses in my life and there's a lot of good horses there's a lot of great horses. And then there's those horses that just, they understand. I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to anthropomorphize, but there's something about them. There's, there's some special horses that actually are intuitive. And, and they, they kind of know what's going on and they read you. And they, if, if you've got their trust, they treat you like, you know, you're part of the herd. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, she's one of those. And, you know, being able to, you know, cause actually, you know, a wild thing was rehabbing. Everybody was afraid to touch me because obviously I'm like broken to a thousand pieces. So you don't realize how you take for granted those friendly hugs from people that you know, or even close friends and family. When you don't have it, you're like, man, I, you know, I just want a hug from somebody. You want that physical contact. And everybody was afraid to hug me, except for the horses that were just, you know, they would want to push into me like normal. And to be able to have that physical connection and, you know, that physical presence and touch, they're, they're special creatures. And uh, I definitely would not be where I am without them. I don't, I don't know that I would have made it, to be honest. Yeah, that's a, um, it's incredible. And, and thinking back on your story, I mean... I talked to a lot of folks under similar circumstances and, and, and a lesson I try to convey to folks, and it's, it's hard for everybody to understand, and it's, it's, it's taken me a long time to get it, is that with divine intervention, the toughest part is, right, we're all part of God's plan in one way or another. Absolutely. The hardest part of it, though, is we don't know what part of that plan that we play. Exactly. For those of you that don't believe in divine intervention, I mean, you look back at Genevieve's story right here, and and you have a collision, a major collision on a country road that ain't traveled very frequently. You happen to come to rest in front of a lady's house yeah. who's getting off of a flight. There's a lady down the road who has a connection with your family, decides she's going to drive a little bit out of her way. You, you, you wreck in a place that you probably shouldn't have been found, right? Exactly. And there's no cell phone service there. So how are you going to get help? 
And lo and behold, mm-hmm. you know, these two ladies cross, cross your path and, and rescue efforts start and your recovery starts. And, and uh, it's a tough lesson to go through, right? You don't wish that upon nobody, but I mean, look, look at all the development that has come from it. Oh, absolutely. And I think what's most motivating is listening to your, your will to fight. And what a lot of folks don't understand is you don't know how tough you are as an individual no. until you're in that moment of weakness, right? Where you, have, you literally have nothing. You are fighting for your life. That's the only thing on the table in your books. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an incredible story. I mean, it gave me goosebumps listening to you talk about it. Yeah. I mean, there was, there was a point in time where I was actually fighting for oxygen and my heart flatlined. I remember fighting for air. And if you haven't experienced that, it is the most, everything is stripped away. And, you know, all the, the, the crap that's going on today's society and the news and people fighting for this and that and their special rights. And when it's all stripped away and you're fighting for oxygen, that, that's what it's all about. That's what people take for granted is that what, you know, you may find an inconvenience. The next person is literally fighting for air. And that's where I think, uh, this is a great motivation and the great content of this podcast, you know, that we're trying to drive home is that, uh, when your five or $10 coffee comes out a little too hot, yeah, that's not stress. No. Right? When your commute, maybe 15 minutes longer, still not stress. And I truly believe in, in some of the folks that I've met in doing this podcast. I've been blessed to be able to talk and, and help folks, some of the strongest, toughest folks in America, share their story. You know, and when you're, when you're laying on a table and you are fighting for your next breath, that's where you start to prioritize life. Right. Absolutely. In that very fleeting moment. Yeah. And, you know, everybody, I've done it. You get all bent out of shape because traffic has come to a complete halt and it's congested. And then all of a sudden the ambulance goes flying by on the shoulder. And that happened to me. And I went, you know what? I'm not in it. Yep. So I'm 20 minutes late to that meeting. Big deal. Yep. I'm not in that ambulance and somebody else just got the call at their kids in, you know, medivac. Cause my parents got that call. God, it makes me sick to my stomach thinking about it. Yeah. And you know, so yeah, it prioritizes and you know, something else that I've learned from it, which was actually probably one of the hardest lessons because I am very stubborn and I'm very hard on myself. And that's part of what pushed me to rehab so far. But Watching um, my uh, my mama got this gelding, and because I was hurt, we took him to a trainer. And because I couldn't obviously break him that spring, and he had turned four years old, and he came back abused basically, and had been whooped for no reason. He was terrified, scared of his own shadow, and this was just a sweet, sweet gelding. We had, t- I mean, didn't deserve that. And uh, so we kind of started, we rehabbed each other, and it was the most bizarre thing to realize that I would give him the benefit of the doubt one day, and when I would be like, you know what, we're both having a bad day, let's just stop, let's just stop, and we'll come back tomorrow. Yeah. And I thought, you know what, 
It's okay for me to give that to myself. It's okay for me to say, you know what? I'm having a bad day. I had flashbacks or I didn't sleep. Or you know what? I ate all that Mexican food and I have a whole lot of sodium retention and it's pressing on my back and I hurt. You know what? It's okay to have a bad day. And when I realize that it is okay to have a bad day and not take it out on somebody else, and I picked that up and I reflected it at me and then reflected it back at the horses, there was a huge turning point in how I started dealing with cults. Isn't it incredible? The, yeah, it was, it was this, I suddenly found this new patience with them and with myself. And I started to find such joy in making, or I say making, because you don't make them trust you, but in, in gaining their trust. I was say it's earned. Them. Yeah. And when I was able, it, truly horses are like a mirror because anytime you do something for every action, there's an equal or greater reaction. When your horse does something, you pick up that mirror and you say, okay, what did I do to make them do that? Because they're reacting to you, especially if they're trusting you and treating you as the alpha in the herd. You are the one that made them do that. Yeah. And it can be a reflection and you can find out stuff about yourself. You had no idea. (laughs) Oh, I've lived it 10 times over. The horses taught me more than I've ever taught them. Oh yeah. And they teach you stuff about you. Mm-hmm. And you realize things about your personality. And, um, but yeah, when, when I realized, you know what, it is okay to have a bad day and not to beat yourself up over it. You can just say, you know what, tomorrow's a new day. And, and it's true. When, I mean, when you go through, when you go through any growth process, right, we are typically we're faced with some sort of challenge, right? The challenge right. is going to put us outside of our comfort zone and that's where the growth truly takes place. Well, before I kind of changed my ways in working with horses and the perspective that I take towards it. I mean, I was very similar to you, very, very type A personality. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it better than everybody else. Sometimes I get there, sometimes I don't. Uh, And the times that I fell short, I would think of it as a failure. I would think of myself as being inferior. Uh, But now that I've kind of changed my perspective on it, you know, Failure is an amazing opportunity to learn. Yes. And the approach I used to take, uh, I guess you would say I was motivated by the fear of failing. Yep. And uh, I've recently learned a perspective. This came from Tim Kennedy. He's a former military and MMA fighter. And he has this concept of hurry up and fail. And for me, it clicked because the faster you get to failure, the faster you grow, right? You're raising that bar just one step higher for the next day. Exactly. And then you hurry up and get to failure again. And then you grow. But it takes it takes some serious fortitude and self-reflection for you to be okay with that failure, you know? And it sounds like that's kind of the journey and, and the lesson that you were taught in your in your growth and your recovery from your collision. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The, you know, the quicker, the quicker you fail, the quicker you can succeed. Yeah. And that sounds so backwards, but it, like you're saying, it's really true because the quicker, the quicker you realize that whatever you're doing isn't working, you change yeah. and you realize, okay, so that didn't work. And, you know, and not everything is not for everybody. And that's something I've learned with that the horses have taught me, you know, because you have, you know, you have three or four colts, right? And, people want to cookie cutter horses. <laughs> it's like, 
okay, so you want to cookie cutter horses, but you're going to tell me that every woman has a different body type. And so Mm -hmm. we're making clothes for all the different body shapes, but you're going to tell me that all horses are created equal. They're not, you know, I've got one that he works great in a D ring snaffle. The next one. Well, that's not going to work. She hates it. Good luck. And, you know, it's just she doesn't either like the shape of it in her mouth or it doesn't work for her. And, you know, some horses are more responsive to leg yielding. Some are less. Yeah, you can get them all there, you know, to the same end goal. But sometimes you have to take a little bit different path to get there. And, you know, when you realize that everybody is a different person and every horse is different and we've got to stop, you know, cookie cuttering or cookie cutting, however you want to. I don't even know that's a word. I just made it. <laughs> cuttering. Whatever. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to you. All right. Then it works. You know, and you start, you know, extending grace to people, you know, and realizing, you know, something, something that got me is because, you know, I, I am, we've already established this. I'm stubborn. I didn't want anybody to know I was hurting. I didn't want to know anybody, you know, that I needed help. I yeah, you didn't want to show want to your ask strength, for help. right? Exactly. And so I would be putting on this big smile and people would say, wow, you know, you, you're doing so well. They had no idea how much effort it had taken for me to climb that set of stairs. Yeah. And you don't know what somebody else is going through. Just because they're really good at that smile and you ask them how they're doing and of course they're going to respond, I'm doing great. How are you? Well, okay, we all know that how many times have we said that, and it's really not true. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when somebody is having a bad day, you have you have no idea what they're going through. And, you know, something else that really, um, it was a humbling, a humbling aspect for me was I was on the adult dose for a male of tramadol, oxycotton, oxycodone, and robaxin. All at the same time. How do you even wake up in the morning? <sighs> well, the problem is when they, when they give you all that six weeks with no refill, you go through withdrawals. Yeah. And the side effects for withdrawals from those drugs are <laughs> bone pain, like I needed more of that. Um, insomnia, night sweats, uh, muscle fatigue. Well, I already had that with the painkillers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when I started going through with the withdrawals, the horses were just about the, I had to get anything to get my mind off of it. And right at that moment, if somebody had handed me a painkiller, I'd have taken it. Not because I wanted it, but because I wanted the misery to stop. And I was like, you know, all those times that I have in my small mind said, well... You want to quit smoking? Just don't buy the cigarettes. You can't, unless you have actually been there and done that and know what an addiction is like, you can't just end it that quickly. Just flip that switch, yeah. No, and it gave me this appreciation because for me it wasn't emotional. Mine was just purely as a, as an organism in an animalistic way. I My body had gotten addicted to this. And when I called the doctor and told him what was going on, he laughed. He actually laughed at me. And he goes, you're basically going through heroin withdrawals. withdrawals." 
He said those are basically heroin level drugs. Yeah, and they're you all go opiates. Withdrawals. And I was like, you're laughing. This is not funny. And he's like, actually, I mean, it kind of is. And I was like, okay, well, number one, no, it's not. Yeah, but that's sickening, fine. but go ahead. Um, <laughs> you know, it, I, you know, I've always, I've never done anything except for, you know, maybe some beer. You know, that's just, I've never been involved in anything like that. But it gave me an understanding and a sympathy for people that go through that. And the horses helped with that too, because it was breaking the monotony of the misery. You know, I was, when you're that miserable, you focus on it. Yeah. It's bra- the horses are breaking that cycle. The horses would break that cycle. And, you know, as, as simple as it sounds to sit there and let one stand at the fence and eat carrots and just breathe on you and be that close, it breaks the cycle. It's incredible. And I tell people all the time, I've seen horses do for human beings what modern medicine can't. And and the story you just conveyed about all those pain pills, I mean, it's just that. How how do you how do you kick an addiction, you know? And there's there's thousands and thousands of clinics, but especially with opiate uh, addictions and, and given what we got going in this country right now with opiate overdoses, what do they do? They give you yeah. methadone, another synthetic drug to get you off of the synthetic drug that you're on. Absolutely. Uh, I can't, and I ain't a doctor by no stretch, but I'm going to say that's probably not the best approach. No. It's probably not the healthiest approach. I invite folks out all the time to come out. And like you said, just just exist with the animal. And and it's it's so enlightening for people who are stressed to the point where they can't get through a day without bawling or crying or feeling sick oh, or, yeah. or whatever their anxiety or stress is, you know, and they sit on the fence and just watch a horse graze, watch a horse eat, watch a horse be, smell the smells of a barn, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It, it provides them, it provides them relief that they have not been able to find otherwise. And this is the biggest motivation in this podcast and trying to get this information out is that horses are a very, very, very powerful creature. And and I tell folks all the time that you own a horse, you ride a horse, lease a horse, you're around horses, right? God has entrusted you with the care and the being of that animal. There's a reason they're a page in your story, you know? Take Absolutely. everything that you can get from it. You're blessed to have the opportunity to ride a horse. You're blessed to have the opportunity to be around horsemen. Uh, it's a phenomenal community. Yeah, there's crooks out there, right? And there's a lot of deceitful people in the industry. I get it. But but no industry or no community is immune exactly. to that. Exactly. And I, and the, the thing that, you know, and I'm, you know, dogs, they say dogs are man's best friend. Yeah, they are. But when you swing your leg over 1,200 pounds, you are entrusting your life to them. And if you have trust issues or you don't even trust yourself and suddenly you're having to trust another, another creature that could kill you. I mean, a horse could easily kill you. They've broken my bones by accident. Oh yeah. And it's, it's such a big, a big thing. And I I think I told you, you know, in, when we talked last time, I have a barrel horse. It's, it's my daddy's and, uh, she's, she's a little psycho. Most barrel horses I are. Say, I've heard of a few barrel horses that act like yeah. that. Yeah. 
but she's a sweet horse. But like when you point her towards the barrels, that's a lot of horse. Oh yeah. And uh, it was first time for me running running the barrel pattern, and I actually have the video of the second time I go through it, and I'll send it to you. First time I go through, we didn't even turn the first barrel. It was just disaster. Like I was just like slow. I was loping her through. I had a death grip on the reins, death grip on the horn. We go up the wall. I make this big wide circle. We kind of halfway make it around the second, and I hit it, and we make this big loop. I it was it was horrible. It was it was absolutely awful. I was say it sounds like a sounds like a phenomenal pattern. It was a great great pattern. <laughs> I make it back and. I pulled her up to a stop at the fence and I just sat there and I realized that as I was going around the barrel, all I could think of the whole time was what if I fall? What if she stumbles? What if I hit my back? What if I break my back again? What if, what if, what if that's all I could think about. And I sat there and out loud, I had this full blown conversation with the horse, full blown. Um, anybody that was nearby would have thought I was nuts. (laughs) And, uh, her name's ice. And I said, ice, you know what? That was all me because God didn't give me my life back to half-ass it. And I was scared to death the whole time we were running that barrel pattern. And I'm going to have to trust you and you're going to have to trust me. And I'm going to trust you not to fall on me. And I turned her back through, made a beautiful barrel pattern. And my parents literally went, what just happened? What in the heck did we just watch? And they said, that was two different people that went through that arena. And I said, I know. It wasn't her. It was me. That's incredible. And I realized that I had, to, I had to trust because God didn't answer all those prayers. God didn't let me flatline and then let a paramedic get me back and rehab and, you know, I have, I have a cadaver bone in my back. Somebody's little girl. Okay, I'm 5'4", 110 pounds. I've got little bones. Yeah. The likelihood somebody's little girl didn't make it. Yeah. I have her bone in my back. So God didn't let all that happen for me to be terrified of living my life. He gave it back to me for a reason. And I have gone... You know, I, I ran a seven-minute mile since my wreck. After being told you may never walk again. Yes. And I wasn't given all that back just to half-ass it. And when I, came, when I came to that and I realized that I had to trust God, trust myself, and trust that horse, I totally, I became a better rider than I had ever been. It's amazing to hear your your gratitude and your, your faith. I mean, it was awesome how you break it down, right? I mean, there's all the stress of everybody trying to save you, right? The medics, the the doctors, the nurses, everybody helping you through rehab, yourself, your family, everybody pulling for you. I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of man hours and emotion and stress went into your recovery, you know, and for you to have that moment of gratitude and clarity and understanding everybody else's investment in you, and not squandering that opportunity. I mean, that's huge. And that's what people need to understand is that all of this is a blessing. It has all happened for a reason, right? Absolutely. It's hard to understand that 
when you're going through it, but at some mm-hmm. point that light bulb is going to go off, right? That oh, yeah. switch is going to get fi- flipped and you just got to stay at it and have the faith like you have had throughout your whole entire process. I mean, at one point you're talking about you worked as hard as you could every single day in your recovery for what? You had no idea what you were going to get back or even if you're going to get anything back. Exactly. You know, but you had the fortitude and you had the drive and you had the motivation to just work a little bit harder tomorrow. When I talk to people a lot about stress and adversities, you know, I use the analogy of the ladder. Your end goal is the top of that ladder, but you can't get to the top of that ladder if you don't take step number one. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, for for me, the first week, the pain was so severe. I was literally, I would have maybe an hour or two of manageable pain. And then as the painkiller started wearing off, I was literally living for that next morphine drip or whatever, just so that I could breathe, yeah. just so that I could sleep. And I realized that, you know, they have those stupid clocks right in front of the the bed. And I, I was able to hold on because when I watched that minute hand, first it was the seconds, then it was the minutes. And I had made one more hour. And then I said, okay, because I wasn't really sleeping. Yeah. As soon as that thing hits 1201, I have made it one more day that they said I wouldn't make it. And my, I would just tell myself, make it to midnight. Make it to midnight. When you've made it to midnight, you have made one more day. And that was what I would fight for, was just make it to midnight. Because it's amazing when you look back and you realize that in the moment, you're fighting for the minutes but you've made the day and you've been fighting for the days and you realize it's been two months and you are getting back. And those things, they add up quickly and it doesn't feel like it, but they actually are adding up. And if you can give yourself a goal, just, you know, make it, make it to midnight, whatever situation you're in, just make it to midnight, make it through that one more day. Then you've got a new day to start with. Maybe the pain will be better. But regardless, you've made it one more day. Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. It sounds like you had a quite the journey and, and quite a few life lessons learned. So you go from being in this crash to, to potentially never being able to walk. Well, first of all, might not even make it through the night. If you do make it through the night, you might not ever you know walk again. And now, now you've worked your way to, uh, to working with colts and working with horses again. Um, how has a lot of these lessons learned in your journey, how do you apply them to the horses now? How has your approach changed? Um, I have a whole lot more patience. <laughs> I actually, pre-rec, I didn't like working with colts because they were just, just, just let me touch a horse after it's turn four because they actually have a brain and an attention span and blah, blah, blah. And now it's, I like watching their journey and I like seeing them from the ground up. And we've had, we've had these two, well, we've, we've had more than that, but the, the, in particular, 
we had these two born one year and uh, I we imprint from birth and because I was spending so much time out in the barn and I was touching this little football you know a little filly all over and at a week old I was spraying her down with flash spray and she didn't care and like she's just bomb proof and daddy was you know turning up the arena and she had never heard a tractor before and the mama we had him turned out in the arena the mama was on the other side of the pen and it scared her and in order to get to mama she would have to go past the tractor and she ran behind me and wrapped her head up next to me and I realized she had she had basically she knew I was I was I would guess a bigger mare in the herd I'd keep her safe yeah and that was flooring like that was a huge light bulb moment to me I had instilled such trust in this baby that she was going to hide behind me rather than run to her mother that's a pretty powerful and moment yes yes it was <laughs> And I, uh, you know, I had another one that the gelding that was whooped up on and he was terrified of, I had picked up one, you know, like a training, I guess what they call the driving whips or whatever. He came unglued in his stall and I said, I started talking to him and I had, you know, had a hold of his halter and I was just holding the whip. And I started using it as an extension of my hand on his neck, you know, just rubbing him slowly with it, taking my time. And when I was done and I set it down, he pressed his head up against my chest. And I turned and looked at my parents. They were standing in the, in the hallway of the barn. And I was like, I think we achieved the lesson here. Yeah, I think we're on to something. <laughs> and it's the realizing that... You know, if you want core strength, there's a lot of actual tiny little muscles in your stomach that build that up. It's not just your six pack. There's lots of tiny muscles that you have to rehab in order to get your strength back. That is over life. And there's lots of tiny things that make up a good horse. It's not just can they walk, trot, lope, catch both leads, stop, and load in a trailer. Yeah. That, that doesn't make a good horse. Yeah. I mean, yeah, a good horse does that. But there's a lot of little things like letting them, you know, you pick up their feet. Are they okay with you picking up their back feet? Are they, do they calm down at the sound of your voice? If there's something scares them, can you pull them back down? Can, can you grab their attention? If, uh, you know, I had my good little mare... She had a, I think it was like a, a Schlotsky's bag went flying past her behind her tied at the trailer. She thought that thing was going to eat her. Yeah, I was going to say the woolly man's going to come and eat her. Yeah, but that those are little things. And I think when I realized that so many little things go into rehabbing your physical body and emotionally, um, because I had flashbacks and I had to deal with flashbacks. So I understood that the gelding was scared again. He was back in that moment of being hurt. Yeah. It was a flashback for him in a, in a way. And I was like, okay, well for me, what's, what, what helps me with my flashbacks? Okay. Just a calm voice. Everybody's saying calm. 
and me telling myself, you're not there. It's not there. It's not happening. Like I've been in the truck and had a flashback and I pulled over and I was like, okay, I'm not there again. I'm okay. I'm cool. (laughs) We're good. Yeah. Yeah. And when I was able to take that and apply it to him, he started coming around so fast. So I, for me, for the training that's really changed is patience and those baby steps make all the difference in the world. One, one time I spent the entire, the entire session just getting this one horse to side pass down the fence. That was it. That's all we worked on. Yeah. But that's going to help him move over to catch leads, move over everywhere. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to, you know, transcend. It wasn't just, you know, an hour wasted on one tiny little thing that you use in a show ring. It's actually a foundational tool that is going to, you know, go through all of his movements. And uh, so realizing that the little things matter and they actually build the big things. That's that's probably one of the biggest things that it's taught me. Yeah, when I when I talk to folks about similar circumstances or similar stories, that's when I first started I was selfish, right? I sat on the horse. I had an agenda that I wanted to go work on for however long I was going to work on it, and that's what we did. As my approaches started to change and my abilities to to understand the animal and read the animal have, have grown, I learned very quickly you cannot put a time limit necessarily on a goal. You know, we're not, no. you can't say I'm going to go work on X for 20 minutes or whatever it may be. I do go out with an agenda. However, if a problem presents itself, that's what we get to working on. And, exactly. And we take our time and we work through it. And like you said, it's, it's building those foundational skills not only physical skills, like a physical act the horse can do, but mentally, right? Understanding their process of how do they metabolize stress? Do they flat yep. wig out and lose it? Or do they look to their leader, right? Do they look to their leader to help them through it? Or some horses are just flat good enough. They have the ability to do it on their own. A lot of that is genetic, but we can we can help them in a lot of those exactly. processes, you know? and. And my horsemanship has been so much more rewarding for me. And it, it sure as heck probably is for the horse because I'm starting to figure things out a little bit and, and we continue to grow every day. But it's folks' ability. I wouldn't even say ability. I would say folks' willingness yep. to reflect in themselves and reflect in their animal and understand that it's, yes, it's your horse and your competition or your barrel race or your roping or whatever you're going to. But you and the horse are in it together. And, oh, yeah. and we got to give them a fair shake at some point, right? Oh, yeah. I have a, I have this one-eyed mare. She got her eye put out when she was six months old. And uh, she, my pride and joy, she was out of my show mare. I was just devastated when she lost her eye because I was concerned about the training process. I mean, not okay, there's lots of one-eyed roping horses. Okay, yeah. it wasn't like it was going to be aesthetically devastating to me. It was just, what? how is this, how do I do this? How do, how do I, you know, because she was obviously protective of that side. So she didn't want to turn that direction, blah, blah, blah. And I was really concerned and I had people tell me, they said, oh, there's too many good horses out there for you to waste your time on this one-eyed horse. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that with my horse. Get rid of him, get another one. And it's like, nah, nobody's giving this horse a fair shake. 
Exactly. And I said, you don't know this horse. She's got something special. She's, she's got try. And I spent probably because she was mine. There was, there were, like you said, there was no time limit. I probably spent 30 days. I would have my mom walk in front of her like she was leading her, but she wouldn't touch her. She just had somebody to follow. And we worked on turning right and left. And she had someone to follow, so she wasn't afraid she was going to run into something. And I was applying the leads, or the, not the lead, the aids, you know, mm-hmm. legs, reins, blah, blah, blah. And then we moved on to, okay, she'd have a horse in front of her, so we would basically kind of trail ride in the arena. And I would have her follow somebody. And it took so long. And I've, you know, figured out that she wasn't going to round pinned. Doesn't matter. You can't make her go that direction. I said, you know what? I don't guess she ever needs to be in a round pen. Okay, you can't do that. What can you do? Let's let's figure this out alternatively. Yeah. Let's find another way to do it. And uh, she has now turned into my go-to bomb-proof. You want to go chase cows on her? She can track cows with her one eye. It is the most bizarre thing. She loves cows. You want me to go track steers for you? That's the one I'm going to grab. You know, if if I need to jump on a horse in a hurry, she's going to do she's going to do her job. And um, there's a video of me. I guess right before we left, I had just I had gotten so stressed with life, and you know, sometimes Murphy's Law happens, and that's everything in my life was falling apart. And I wanted to go ride and. I really didn't want to put a saddle on her and I had never ridden her bareback out of the arena. And it was one of those things that I kind of, I weighed the options and I said, okay, I'm nervous. I better, I better loosen up pretty quick or she, she's super, super sensitive. I thought she's going to spill me fast. It could be a wreck. I could end up on my butt on the ground. Okay, this could be a learning moment for everybody. Yeah, I was going to say, here and we I, go. I jumped on her, and um, it was so bizarre. Being on a horse bareback relaxed me. And so it was, it was kind of like I, I was worried that me being nervous was going to make her nervous, but in fact, being on her was calming me down. I was able to clear you up a little bit. I have never had her be that calm. I mean, she's cutting bread, so she's got some pep in her. Yeah. We rode. She had her head hanging like she was this old trail horse. And uh, I decided just to open her up and run her across the hill bareback. And she was feeling so good, she even kind of crow hopped. And I thought I was going to hit the ground. Yeah, exactly. But it wasn't, it wasn't a hateful thing. It was just, man, she was having she's fun. It fresh, was a cool yeah. day and feeling good. And it was the most, it was one of the most rewarding moments. And I've got a video of it. I'll send it to you. You can see I've got this grin on my face. My dad videoed it. We were just all out riding. And it was so freeing to realize that this was the horse that they said get rid of her don't don't bother throwing effort in that she's turned out to be one of the best horses how amazing and it was just because i gave her the extra time and that's the thing i mean it's got to be how fulfilling for you to put all that effort forward right and see a result that you've been working so hard and so long for but you're seeing the benefit of effort that 
the vast majority of people wouldn't even give that horse a fair shake. Exactly. Exactly. And you know, and that's that horses like situations like that. And you look and you say, there's kids out there that, you know, maybe they're, you know, not making good grades in class. Find out why maybe their parents are going through a divorce. Give them a little extra, try give them a little extra time. They may graduate top of their class because people, and I'm guilty of it. We want fast food life. We want things to work fast. God, I, I would love to just walk out there and halter break a colt in one session. Wouldn't we all love oh, that? Yeah. Make life a lot easier for a lot of us. <laughs> and yeah, sometimes there is the horse that that does. I had two, two colts, same sire. They were born a week apart. I halter broke one in one session. The other one, when I put the halter on her in a giant foaling stall, decided to get so angry that she flipped over backwards three times and banged her head against the wall. It was a very slow process getting her halter broke. Yeah, I was going to say, you got to take your time. All I did, I mean, I didn't even put pressure on it. I just put the halter on her and let go, and she just came unglued. I was like, okay, that makes no sense. They're, they've had the same, same treatment, same daddy. I've treated them the same, but they're not the same. It goes back to your cookie cutter analogy, right? Exactly. You gotta find and now she's horse. doing now she's doing great. I just had to realize that she wasn't her sister. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, and that's I mean that's what horsemanship is, right? It's it's a human being's ability to read an animal. Cause yeah. I mean you take leg yielding, for example, right? Your leg position, the amount of pressure, how long you apply that pressure. I mean, all that stuff is different from horse to horse to horse. When it yeah. comes down to it, it's leg yielding, right? It's one aspect of horsemanship or one aspect of riding. But how you get there and how you train it or how you work with a horse, it should be different every single time. You're dealing with an independent animal, a different personality, different breeding, different background, different experience, different perception. Um, yeah. And, and that's that's the greatest thing in all of this and in, in listening to your story because, God, you've been through a lot. But taking all of what people would perceive to be a negative situation, and yes, I do not wish your, wish your scenario on a soul, but for you to learn will take patience since that's kind of what you've been leaning on. For you to have the insight to and willingness to learn patience and apply it to the horse, and, and what you've gotten in return, I mean, the experience speaks tenfold, you know, and, and the biggest thing in, in a lot of this horsemanship stuff is leaving that legacy to the next generation. I mean, you learned a very, very hard lesson, but you've developed that skill and, and now you pass it on to the, the next set of horsemen that come in behind you, you know? Absolutely. It's incredible. Absolutely. And, you know, I had, I had the most bizarre experience with actually with the gelding. The uh, I guess a week or so before I left um, to go on tour, and he was scared to death of the hose. It was a hot day, and I thought, oh, come on, guy. This has got to feel good to you. Oh, no, he was not having it. He was turning in. I mean, he was doing some sort of, like, flamenco Mexican hat dance to get away from that hose. And, um, and he, I mean, like, I even just held it up so that he could see it, no part of it. And I can't, I can't for the life of me tell you what made me do this. I don't know. I was talking to him, having a full-blown conversation again. 
And uh, his name's Pretty Boy. And I said, oh, come on, Pretty Boy. This, you know, it's hot. You're going to like it. It's going to feel good. Look, I mean, come on. Look, I'm going to drink some out of it, okay? I mean, like, I'm talking to this thing. I drank out of the hose. And he was watching me, just like frozen watching me. I put my face down to the hose, drank out of it. And I looked up at him and I go, here, you try it. <laughs> and I put, I moved it towards him. And without ever breaking eye contact with me, he stuck his nose down and drank out of the hose. And That's I sat there and I was like, okay, I don't know what just happened. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, we're done for the day. <laughs> I'm really not sure why you just did that. And then, you know, my mom said, well, you know, he trusts you. The leader of the herd drank out of the hose, so maybe that's what... And then after that, he let me hose him down. And I, you know, I, I can't... That's probably not ever going to work on another horse again, but in that moment, it taught me that trust is such a powerful tool. Oh, it's everything. Everything and in horsemanship. It's everything in I life, not, right? Oh, absolutely. And I may not ever be able to recreate that with another horse, but for him, his trust went from something terrifying him to, okay, I, I don't have a video of it, don't have a picture. He let me spray him in the face that same day. It's incredible. Incredible, incredible. Yeah. So anyways, that was just, you know, a, another thing that if you slow down and you take time to appreciate trust and the little things, they can be the most fulfilling. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you, you mentioned in there or right before you told that story about being on tour. Why don't you share with folks a little bit about Genevieve Allen music, right? And the, yeah, the music um, part of your life. I'm a full-time uh, musician. I kind of do uh, outlaw country. Um, Chris Ledoux and Garth Brooks are my heroes. So, I mean, I, I kind of sing rodeo music. And um, I play for rodeos and rodeo dances, county fairs. And um, I've had two singles out on radio. Um, one of them broke top 40 on the Texas charts. Oh, awesome. And, uh, yeah, it's called Rob That Train. And then I've got another one out right now called Damn This Rodeo. And uh, I write my own music. Um, I've got two CDs out. Uh, they're both available on uh, iTunes, CD Baby, Amazon. Um, and I'm just, you know, having fun playing at rodeos. I mean, my, my two loves in life are music and rodeo. And uh, I get to I get to have them both. I say you're so, pretty blessed to be able to have the opportunity at both. Absolutely, absolutely. So tell me about "Damn This Rodeo" was your last last CD, correct? Um, correct. Or last album, and that came out. What was it? May, June of this year. Yes, May. So obviously, there's a lot of horsemen and rodeo community that that, that listen to this podcast. Um, tell the story of "Damn This Rodeo," how it came to be. Um, you know, it was, it was actually one of those things that I had, I had come up with the idea several years ago and there was always something missing to it. Like, I love the idea. I love the premise. And I kept shelving the song. I kept, eh, it's just not right. Just, nope. It's not right. I'd pull it out every few months and play it, shelve it again. And then, uh, something, something triggered what needed to be in the third verse. Cause I only had two verses. <laughs> I think it was two verses and I had the chorus and I was like, yeah, it's just, once I got that third verse, it clicked and it just, it grew. And it was, it also ended up kind of being um, metaphorical because the, the song is, you know, it, it's that classic rodeo cowboy and a woman and he wants both. 
and it's really hard to have both. And, you know, being on the road and, and he tried to, he tried to give that life up, but that rodeo just keeps screaming at him. He just keeps pulling him back. And it ended up kind of getting this metaphorical, and that was the reason that I called the album Damn This Rodeo is because life and music, it's a rodeo. And sometimes that gate gets pulled and you may win the gold buckle. You may score that eight second high score ride or they open the gate and you get hung up in the rigging and you get drug around by a bull and life stomped out of you yeah and you just you just eat mud and no matter what though you're you're still in it and sometimes you just want to cuss life you want to cuss your career you want to cuss the situation you're in you're like damn this rodeo just (laughs) just damn it yeah i'm tired of it I, I want it to work, and uh, but you just you keep coming back, especially if it's your passion, you know. And that's what you know, as you know, as a cowgirl, that was driven into my head. If you get thrown, you climb back on, and you don't wait till the next day. You climb on right then, because you don't want to get scared. And so you just you keep you keep going for it, and sometimes. You know, you even walk away from your passion for a little bit, but it's going to, if it's your passion and your calling and your drive, it's going to keep screaming at you. Yeah. If it's and you there, won't it's there. be able, you won't be able to leave it alone. And, uh, so that's, that's what, that's what I did with that, with that single and, um, ended up naming the, uh, the whole album, Damn This Rodeo. And it's got some, some other cool tracks on there. It's all over the place. I've even got kind of a cowboy bluesy jazzy song on there well it's more blues i guess cowboy blues and um it was just it was a blast because every song on there was me and yet there was so much variety on it and um i recently just uh did my epk um and filmed it here in uh, mount pleasant and um explain to folks what a what an epk is or what the purpose is of it it's an it's electronic press kit and basically you tell who you are and you sell yourself and your music in three, four minutes. And what it is is for bookers and promoters to watch it and, you know, get the gist of who you are and what they're potentially buying when they, you know, book you for a show. And where can folks find that? That is on YouTube. Um, It's called, uh, I think it's just Genevieve Allen, the cowgirl offstage or the cowgirl behind the mic. I'll get that link over to you. Yeah. And uh, it's really cool because, you know, half of it is I'm actually on a horse talking about my life. And they've got clips of me sorting cows and running steers. And it was really cool because it got to show actually who I am at, at the core. And I'm sitting there talking about my music on this this big old roping horse. <laughs> and, you know, because that that is me. Um, and so I just did that. I'm going to be releasing a music video coming out here in the fall. And it's just, it's really, it's been awesome. It's been a long journey finding, I guess, honestly, who I am with the music. Because when you first get into the music, you want, I want it anyway, to be successful. Because oh, absolutely. Duh, Everybody's chasing the fame and the fortune in some regard. Duh, you, you want to be successful. So you start saying, what can I do to be successful? What do they want to hear? What do they want to see on stage? What do they, they being the industry, blah, blah, blah. 
And uh, I finally, I mean, I've been in it a while now. And I said, you know what? I want to sing rodeo music. <laughs> Good. I want to sing this. This is what, this is who I am. And if they don't like it, they don't have to spin it. They don't have to come to my shows, but there are people that do like it. And that's who I am doing my art, targeting my audience because this is who Genevieve Allen is. Well, and that's what I love listening to your music is it, I think so much of popular country music now, um, we get it, right? Everybody wants a big truck and everybody wants to drive in the mud and drink beer because they ain't got no obligations in life. But it's unrealistic. You know, when you're... Your ability to tell stories and, and getting back to that country music that does tell stories. I mean, it's in my opinion, it's so much more valuable. It's it's way more entertaining than than what's getting pushed through a lot of the radio stations today. I agree. No, and you know, and, and it's and it's not for everybody, and I get that, and yeah. I'm cool with that. But that was that was a journey for me to get to that place. I said, you know what this this is me. <laughs> Life this is so is much more rewarding too when. When you invest yourself in something bigger than you. Right. Right? I mean, you're playing a style of music that's some could argue are days of old, but you know what? It's where it's where that genre of music was founded. Exactly. You know, it's what the tradition of co- true country music is and not, not popular country music, you know? And right. you are right. It ain't for everybody, but you know what? The people that are going to show up to your show this weekend are going to show up next weekend and the weekend after and the weekend after. You know, you're going to build a very strong contingency of fans absolutely and that's when it really matters right absolutely you got it that's awesome so where obviously uh you got your music out there how about social media and stuff where can folks find you i'm on facebook instagram twitter it's all genevieve allen or genevieve allen music um actually my instagram twitter handle is genevieve allen one um but pretty much if you just google genevieve allen i i pop up you are it. Everywhere. Good stuff. So um, are you working with any other associations or programs or anything as far as this horsemanship stuff goes, or rodeo or music? Um, no, uh, for the, you know, I've been doing, I, I've trained our horses and I've just now kind of started pushing, I say pushing, promoting publicly my training um, so it's, it's just, it's just me, um, with that. And then, uh, I'm going to start back up doing some barrel racing just, just for fun, you know, and, um, with the, with the music, I'm just, I'm just kind of doing, doing me. So I'm, I'm just kind of a, a, a loner with it. No, it's good. You got your plan and you got your hopes and, and your dreams and you're doing it on your accord rather than getting pushed by a label or. Or trying to sell absolutely, yourself, you know? Absolutely. I was I was with a label and I decided to go independent because, you know, nobody knows who I am better than me. Than you. And um I've been blessed to be um involved with some really awesome sponsors, um, and endorsees, uh Prefert and uh Sweet Pro Feeds, uh Rope Smart, uh WSI is uh well well basically it's hunting gear, but it's cold weather. Um, apparel and they've they've taken off with that and that's that's awesome and I've got a a guitar strap sponsor Rolano Sierra custom leather uh, open the cage um, and then get involved with uh, Jeremy over at Charlie Five 
And uh, it's just, it's really been awesome to, to be surrounded by really awesome people that are in the rodeo industry. And they, they see um, potential, I guess, and they've, they've really helped um, push and promote me and, and made some things possible. No, it's great. And that's been a, an unintended benefit of doing a lot of this podcast stuff for me is that uh, in trying to expose this this premise of healing through horses, uh, I've had the opportunity to meet some phenomenal human beings. I mean, just great, good, hardworking people. And, and hopefully this podcast will grow to the point where we start building a good network and a good uh, circle of, of like-minded folks and, um, and start getting this word out there, right? And, and start exposing Absolutely. people to the benefits of the horse and, and finding those good folks in country music and those good folks in rodeo and the good folks in horsemanship. And, and I mean, I have so many programs lined up that discuss the benefits and, and how they help vets and law enforcement and all sorts of folks affected by various forms of trauma. So we sure appreciate you taking time out of your busy life to make time for, for us here at, at Let Freedom Reign and, and the folks listening to this show. Do you have any final words or any lessons learned or anything you want to leave with the guests before you go today? No, I mean, just, you know, I thank you for having me on there and thanks for listening. And um, just just know that um, horses are more than just, you know, just another one of the animals on this planet. They really do have something special. And uh, when you invest time in them, I've never... I've never, it's never gone wasted. And I typically receive tenfold what I invest in them. Um, and I, I usually get more than, I think I get more than what they get, but they, uh, they're, they're truly, truly special creatures. That's what I tell folks. I could work a full-time gig trying to give back to the horse for the rest of my life. And I, I don't know if I'll ever be able to fulfill my end of the bargain. I hear you on that. Well, good stuff. Everybody, Genevieve Allen, go ahead and Google Genevieve Allen Music. She's all over social media. Uh, her music's out there. Please support her endeavors. Uh, and thanks again from Let Freedom Reign. All right. Thank you. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to this episode of Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, you can find us on social media under Let Freedom Reign Podcast. If you want to support the growth of this podcast, go to patreon.com forward slash Let Freedom Reign Podcast. Again, we thank you. And we'll see you on the next one.